0: I have had the privilege, my father-in-law is a sealer, my wife's, he was the president of the Manti Temple, um, and we have had the privilege of having him seal three of our children. And this last time was very different. Back in my day, when, we, when you were sealed in the temple, the sealer that was assigned to you had a lot of leeway to just give their own personal marriage advice, and some of them were really bad, and some of them were really good. I've been to a lot of wedding sealings in the temple, and I've watched a lot of sealers give some, just bore their, it's like, come on, this is the greatest moment of our life, and we're bored. <laughs> because the sealer was just kind of rambling on and on and on. And sometimes it would be, well, if you got a good sealer, it was a great experience. If you got a bad sealer, not so great experience. And this very last, my, 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 the last wedding we went to, and my father-in-law was the sealer, and he came out. And he said, we have been instructed as sealers to no longer give our personal advice. And I'm like, <laughs> Instead, we have been asked to review the five covenants you made in the endowment room. And then I went to another ceiling and the sealer said the same thing. We have been asked to review the five covenants you made in the endowment room. And all of a sudden a light went on in my head that said the covenant that makes my family eternal isn't just the sealing covenant. It's every covenant I've made. If I want my eternal family, if I want my family to be eternal, not only do I live up to the covenant I made at the sealing altar, but I mainly have to go back and focus on the five covenants I made in the endowment room. Ever since that moment, I have tried very hard to focus my life and my teachings on the five covenants. And to bring them up, whether it's a temple class or not, but to focus on the five covenants. Now, I'm on safe ground here. I just want you to know that I'm on safe ground here. If you've never seen this, I'm going to pull up the Gospel Library app. And if you go to the very beginning, and then there is... Um, temple and family history, temple ordinances, temple endowment. So I'm reading what's on every gospel library, right? Mm -hmm. And the church says, in conjunction with these ordinances, you will be invited to make specific covenants with God. These covenants include, and guess what you find there? On the church app. So, this is not something we don't discuss. There are parts of the temple I promised I wouldn't talk about, but this is not one of them. We ought to speak about these laws. So I'm on safe ground, right? None of you are gonna look at me weird today. Like, why is he talking about this? We are gonna talk about, over the course of the next several weeks, we're gonna digest these laws. Because if, if that's what the covenant it is that makes a family eternal, you need to understand that, how to live it. So here's where I want to go on all of them, but we're going to, we're going to, do, a, we're going to do it in-depthly this time. Do you remember one of the four connections we made last week and the first week is that the temple is an uh, illustration of the procession through the celestial world into a terrestrial world into a celestial world. We imitate in the temple what we do in reality. We are here surrounded by celestial things. You are in a celestial world. And either you let go of everything that's celestial, or you follow those things into a celestial kingdom. Can you let go of everything celestial and get into a terrestrial room? Now we focused on that change. So celestial to terrestrial, where is it that we make covenants that really focus on this step here. These are chapel. Behind that door is a baptismal font. Not far from here is a sacrament table. In our chapels, we focus on overcoming the natural man and becoming more terrestrial. Now, when was the first time you covenanted to obey the law of obedience? Is that the first time done in the temple? That is the very first covenant you make. Could I, is, am I far off by saying, when you were baptized, that was what you were promising? And by going down into the water, killing the natural man, you were promising to obey the law of sacrifice. And isn't the law of gospel assumed in temple covenants? And isn't there a law of chastity You can't even go into the temple if you're violating the law of chastity. So when did you first promise to obey the law of chastity? Long before you got to the temple. So are there not all five laws here? Isn't the first and foremost covenant you make with the Lord when you were eight to obey the law of obedience? Why then do you repeat it in the temple? Is it just a repeat? It doesn't follow the Lord's pattern to say, hey, let's remake every promise you've ever made. The temple is not a repeat. Therefore, may I suggest that the temple version of the law of obedience... is higher, holier, and much more difficult. So let's talk about the difference. Let's see if we can identify chapel law of obedience and temple law of obedience. Go ahead, tell me your name. Armando. Armando. So to be baptized and to enter into that covenant there's a wording in Doctrine and Covenants and also, in, and you see it in Alma 18 and you see it in, in 2 Nephi 31 that says that you're willing to. So you're willing to obey God's commandments. And to be willing to do something doesn't mean that you're necessarily always going to do it, right? Like, I'm willing to you know, go to church. I'm willing, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to do it. But it doesn't necessarily mean I'm always going to be there if I'm a new member. You know, maybe I don't do it every single time. But when you go to the temple, you covenant before God, angels, and witnesses that you will obey, that you will go to church, that you will do these things. So, yes, it's going to step you up. You see that step up? Yeah. But even then, I mean, if I don't obey the law of chastity, can I even go to the temple? So I can be willing to obey the law of chastity, but if I don't obey it, can I even go to the temple? And so there's all these things at play. What I want to focus on is that connection we made last week, that where do I obey celestial laws? So may I suggest that what we're going to focus on is, this is an outward obedience CJ, is that where you're going to get to? Go ahead and say it. I want you to say it. When it comes to the terrestrial, it's very outside. It's very physical. Things we do. But when it comes to the temple, things we think of, things we imagine, things we see, it's more inside. So let me ask you a piercing question. What do you promise in the temple when you promise to obey the law of obedience? If it's more than the outward. So this was... I will do, I Lord, I will do, and I know there's growth, and I'm not going to be perfect, and it's going to take a whole lifetime. But Lord, I will do. So tell me that what that one is. Do you, think of not doing you see? There's a difference there. In other words, this—may I say it this way? This is the discipline to obey. This is the disposition. To obey. How do you sense the difference in those? The second one is, it's becoming. Instead of just the checklist, it's becoming. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference in what you covenanted in the temple than what you covenanted in baptism? Baptism was, Lord, I will do or I will not do. Temple is, I want to obey. I am giving my heart and my desire. I want to obey. Now, kind of a couple scriptures that kind of illustrate the difference. Where was the law of Moses written? Just physically. Where was the law of Moses written? Stone tablets. And, and technically, where is the law written here? Where is this law written? It's printed, there's a handbook. You can see it, you could open up and read it. It's printed in text. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse three. And what does Paul, Paul kind of caught the vision of the difference between terrestrial and celestial. 2 Corinthians 3, verse three, I love this verse. Where should, where, where is the celestial law written? You see the difference? If I obey the law of the stone tablets, if I obey the law that's written, I'm a terrestrial. I'm doing good. I'm following the letter of the law. But tell me, what is the covenant of the temple? When I went into the temple and said, Lord, I will obey the temple version of the law of obedience. What was I suggesting? I will write the law where? on the fleshy tables of my heart. Because what's the difference? What is the difference between the law written in stone and the law written in your heart? I be let, will you say that out loud? I wanna hear that. Do you see that? Tell me why children obey the law? Why do dogs obey the law? My dog knows not to poop in the house. He has learned not to poop in the house. But how did he learn how to not to poop in his house? Because he doesn't want to poop in the house. He has learned that if he poops in the house, there are negative consequences, and he doesn't want those. And so he has the discipline to not poop in the house. But what would I really love? I would really love a dog that had what? The disposition to not poop in the house. Because then, guess what? I don't have to worry at all. Because my dog says, I don't want to poop in the house. And so when we talk about the law of obedience in the temple version, we need to talk about willingness, heart issues. I, I want to share this quotation from Ezra Taft Benson that just I can't tell you how deeply this has penetrated me over the years. President Benson was the one that signed my uh, mission call. It's just I love him um this quotation when obedience ceases to be an irritant and becomes our quest in that moment god will endow us with power now i can't think of a better description of the celestial law of obedience, then it becomes my quest. Now, does that mean I'm perfect at it? Let's be clear. We didn't do that tonight, oh my goodness. (laughs) Will you remember this discussion and we'll have next week's discussion and then put in your mind, will you have, will you put next week's discussion before this discussion? Is it assumed by the Father that once you get to temple covenants, you don't ever break them, you don't ever slip up, you don't ever make mistakes? Is that his assumption? That's what I meant to talk about first. Sorry, I got so excited about this when I skipped it, but we'll go back to it next week. But the environment in which we're making these covenants is not an environment of perfection expected. So, But, but as we grow, as we make this covenant, I'm working on the quest Obedience is my quest. It's not a have to. How many times when your friends who weren't members talked about alcohol and you said you didn't drink, how many teenage answers are because of my religion? I don't drink because of my religion. Well, where's the law written? For that person, where's the law written? On stone tablets. I have to obey. <clears throat> for this covenant, what would the right answer be even for a teenager? I, don't I choose not to. I choose not to. It's not their religion. It's not their commandment. It's not this. Com- it's my commandment. So that being said, how do we begin to do this? Where do I start to improve? At that, how do I make obedience my quest? I want to turn to the prayer Jesus uttered before he walked into Gethsemane. Turn to John chapter 17. We call it the intercessory prayer. He's pleading, he's interceding for us. We call it the intercessory prayer. John chapter 17. If you relax your eyes a little bit and you don't get so caught up in the words because it's a beautiful prayer, what is he praying for? Over and over and over again, there's a theme. Did you catch it? He's praying for oneness. The last thing Jesus prays for before he enters Gethsemane is oneness. But there's two onenesses here. If you read it carefully, you're going to see two different onenesses, and he's going to say the same thing when he goes to America. So let me pull it up. Let's get John chapter 17. And I'm going to draw this. I I want the blank version so we don't see my notes. So let's, so verse 3, this is life eternal that they might know thee. And then he's saying, hey, I've given them a work. I've glorified them. I'm coming unto thee. Now let's jump to verse 11. I am no more in the world. But these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. In other words, that they may be one as we are one. So here's the example for them. He's praying that we are one. What direction am I motioning? What direction? If I were to draw a line that represents that oneness, it would be this line. And he's going to repeat that a couple times. But notice it's a different oneness that he then continues to pray for. All right, jump to verse 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. How's that different? The first oneness is let them be one with each other. The second oneness is what direction? How do I draw the second oneness? Now look at this symbol. Not one we use, but we certainly something sacred to us, right? Jesus is saying, I need you guys to be one with each other. When you drive, when you buy and sell things from each other, when there's not enough for everybody, I need you guys to be one with each other. And I need you to be one with us. Now tell me where we're headed. You see where we're headed? Look at everything in the gospel. There are covenants I make with God. And then there are covenants I make with each other. Now, when I get down to look where I'm going, two, three, four. Tell me four. What's four? Chastity, and what's five? Do you see the Do you see the cross? What is this? And actually, it's it's here. What are these? Oneness with each other. Oneness with each other. What then, does that suggest, are these two? Oneness with Him. Oneness with God and oneness with each other. So let me just give you a thought, what does that mean? How do you work on that? How do you make progress? What does it mean to be one with God? I asked a group of teenagers once, what does it mean? What does oneness mean? What does it mean that your parents are one? Mom and dad are one. If mom and dad are one, what does that mean? What does that mean to a 16-year-old? If my mom and dad are one, what does that mean? And one of them kind of sarcastically said, well, if you ask one, you know what the other one's going to say. Okay, that's a pretty good description of mom and dad being one. If I ask mom, And she says, no, I can pretty much tell you what dad's going to say, right? If mom and dad are one, then mom would say the same thing dad would say, and dad would say the same thing mom would say. So then I asked the next question, what does it mean if you and mom and dad are one? The same kid sarcastically said, you don't ask anymore. (laughs) And I said, why don't you ask? What do you think his sarcastic response was? so, does oneness with mom and dad mean you know what they're gonna say? No. <laughs> does oneness with God, no, I know, mean I know what He's gonna say? No. So I pushed them and I said, "Tell me what it means if you and mom and dad are one." And the sweet little girl raised her hand and said. You don't ask, not because you anticipate their answer, but because you want for you what they want for you. And it was that one of those moments where the Spirit just poured down into the room and was saying, that is as simple a truth as you will find. Oneness with God means what? Each needs first. I want for me what God wants for me. And I want for you what God wants for you. May I suggest there's the covenant of the temple. I want for me what God wants for me. Tell me what a loving Heavenly Father wants for me. If you go forward in the verses, you go with 23 and 24, I think that very much says it. Now does that does that necessarily mean let me let me push back? Does that mean Heavenly Father wants all my problems to go away? Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want my problems to go away? But that's not what that one means. It means complete, not perfect in the sense that we think. So if he does not heal my problem, tell me what that means. Yeah. What do most people conclude? What's the What's the conclusion of many people in the world, if if, if I face difficulty in my life, if I have to go through pain, then that means he doesn't love me. Is it Heavenly Father's, has it ever been Heavenly Father's desire from the beginning that I live a pain-free life? You're shaking your head, but I wonder what your heart says. Well, I don't think he wants us to suffer, but we, we need to learn as he did or we don't become like he did. So does he want me to suffer? No. Not for the sake of suffering. He wants me to oh, yeah. learn. Okay, find Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18 in the Old Testament. Let's talk about the nature of Heavenly Father. Let's talk about what he wants for me. Let's talk about the nature. Now, this is... Let's just get there. Old Testament, Ezekiel 18. Beautifully stated here. Now, tell me what's happening in Ezekiel. Anyone know the history of Ezekiel? The temple has been the Jews have lost the temple. Do you know why Lehi left Jerusalem? (coughs) Then Babylonians were going to come in and slaughter the Jews and destroy the temple now, what did they think about King David and his throne and the house of Israel? What did they think? No, no one will ever defeat Israel. Now, that was true, right? Do you remember when the, the Syrians wanted to go to Egypt and they conquered the northern tribes and they took on the southern tribes and this massive army and there was a little bug in their way and who won? The little bug, the little bug won. And they got the impression, Israel can't be defeated, which is true when God's with you. But now they've lost everything. They've lost the temple. They've lost their kingdom. They will, they will never again in their lifetime worship in the temple. And the Lord says, verse 21, If the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live and not die. All his transgression that he hath committed shall not be mentioned unto him in his righteousness that he hath done shall he live. And then this profound word, this profound sentence, and I need your heart to hear this, not just your head. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. So I think we can clearly say, Heavenly Father does not want me to suffer. But does he want me to live a life that is pain-free, Does Heavenly Father want to answer every prayer I utter? Now, oneness with God means accepting what harsh challenge? That He wants tough things for me. How do you strengthen a muscle? There's only one way. How do you strengthen a muscle? you tear it. If you don't tear it, you don't build it. And he knows that. And he sent us to mortality to say there's going to be some tough days and there's some things I want for you that you're not going to want for you. Case in point, Jesus in Gethsemane. Prayer number one. Tell me what prayer number one was. Let's read it. Let's read the two prayers. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Let's get prayer number, no, Matthew 26, Luke 20. We're going to need Matthew Matthew 26 and Luke 22 if you want to find both of those. Let's start in Matthew 26. What was prayer number one? Now, tell me if this isn't a type and a shadow of everything in our life. All right, verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Tell me what Jesus just prayed for. Bless his sweetheart. What did he pray for? I want my pain to go away. I am praying that my pain go away. I am praying that there's another way to do this. Now, how many of you have uttered that same prayer in your own version? Not to that magnitude, but in your own version. How many of you have been faced with a challenge, a trial, pain of some sort of your life, and you said, prayer number one, could you make it go away? Could you make my pain go away? Now, does anyone know what happened next? Matthew doesn't say it, and Luke doesn't repeat both prayers. Matthew gives both prayers, and Luke gives what happens in between. So we kind of have to put it together. Tell me what happens. Okay, so that's the Luke. So go to Luke chapter twenty-two. After Jesus said, "Can I? Can, is there another way? Can I? Can I get through without this pain? Can we find some other way to do this?" Now tell me what happens after he prayed that. So verse 42 is the prayer, right? Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not thy will, but thine. What happens? Okay, read between the lines. What happened? What was the angel there to say? What was the angel there to strengthen him, trying to say to him? It's not going away. But I can help you. I can strengthen you. I can be with you. But I can't take the pain away. Not for your good. Now... Prayer number two. Luke doesn't give prayer number two, even though Luke gives the angel. So we got to go back to Matthew chapter 26, and uh, you need to le- read the tone. Hear the tone in prayer number two. What's the tone? The first prayer, you can kind of sense him pleading. Take the cup away. But what's prayer number two? Verse 42, Matthew 26. Prayer number two is in verse 42. I'll let you read it. Emma, tell me what you're seeing. Think out loud for a, for, for a moment. Tell me what you're seeing in this verse. Like more, not resolve, but like, okay, I, I can see how this is possible with help, I guess. You know, it's not so, I can't do this, take it away, but I can do this, it's hard, so I need you. Now, would you call that oneness? There's an acceptance of what? Tell me what he accepted. Notice the tone. Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Now, what's implied in this? What's Jesus saying in this? (laughs) I need help, but I'm gonna drink it. Now, do you see in all of that what we do in the temple at that moment? It's a willingness to say, Father, there's things in my life I would like you to take away. And not just pain. Maybe it's, I would like to be able to do that sin. I'd like to commit that sin once in a while. There are always going to be things that are counter to Heavenly Father's desires for you. Now, I know you're not going to do them because you have a discipline to do what's right. But what are you going to promise him in the temple? Oneness. I want for me what he wants for me. I want for me what he wants for me. That's the covenant, that's the temple version of the law of obedience. It's not just that I will obey, it's that I give you my whole heart. And I want, that's how I wanna live my life. I don't need to be told, because I wanna do it that way. Because I recognize that what you want for me is what is best for me. It's that willingness. It's that acceptance. I am going to drink. Now, can you help me? (laughs) Can you help me drink it? That's the covenant version of the temple. We have long been obedient people But what we're working on, every one of us, what we're working on is, I want for me what He wants for me. And sometimes it takes an angel to come and say, Bryce, that's not what I want for you. You've been praying for that for a long time, and I see, but that's not what I want for you. So I have a proposal, ready? What if we started to pray a little bit differently? What if we started to pray when, when I ask for something that I don't know is His will? I throw in a, but if not. What if we start practicing with a but if not for everything that we ask? Let me give you an example, okay? I remember when, One of our children was young and was colicky and would not sleep. And neither my wife nor I slept. We were up all night. And we began to pray, like you would understand, that the baby would sleep. Change my circumstance. Please bless this baby to sleep. Now, is that something Heavenly Father wants for us? I don't know. So we decided to throw in a but if not, and ask for something that I know he wants for me. We would say something like, Heavenly Father, please bless Brittany to sleep tonight. Bless Brittany to sleep tonight so that we all get some sleep. But if not, bless me to be patient with her and kind and hold her gently and love her deeply. Now I know he wants that for me. How about this one? Heavenly Father, I'm lonely, I need some friends. Send me some friends. Send me some friends, send me a best friend. Send me someone I can really connect with. Send me a best friend, right? It's a great prayer. Give me a but if not. Okay, Heavenly Father, bless me to find those who need me as their friend. Bless me with the courage to talk to them. Now, do I know he wants that from me? You see what the temple is inviting us to do in our lives? If you catch the vision of this upper higher law and where it's supposed to be written and what it's all about, you begin to pray differently. You begin to say, Heavenly Father, could you please take this pain away from me? But I don't know if that's really the best thing for me. So can I give you a second prayer? Would you bless me with the strength to drink it patiently. Let me show you a beautiful example. Turn to 1 Nephi chapter 7. Remember when Nephi was bound with cords? What would you pray for? Well, he get the cords off. You know, get the cords off and strike my brethren down. Tell me what he prays for. Let's read it. You, got, you see that? That's a subtle difference. And it's easy to miss, but it is a powerful distinction. First Nephi chapter seven, verse 17. He is bound with cords and it would be very easy to say, Lord, get me out of this. But notice, he doesn't. O Lord, according to my faith, which is in thee, would thou deliver me from the hands of my brethren? Yea, what's the prayer here? Not break my bands for me, but give me strength to break my own bands, to solve my own problems. Do you see the higher, holier law? Change me, because I want for me what thou wantest for me. I think it's also interesting in verse 18, because instead of giving him the strength to burst the bands, the bands just fell off from him. So, little, I don't know. I feel like it's like showing us that we still need the Lord. Yeah. Even with the strength given. He was like, I'm here to be with you spiritually. I have strengthened you, but you need me this Beautiful. I, I like this as well because I think, I mean, this is Nephi as a young man. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I like how it's in like there loosened because I think it's God as well saying there are other methods. Yeah. Like you can, like you can think about this, like it's not just how you're going to think. And I think it helps me if I understand. Yeah. There's more than one way to go about things. You got it. helps set them up so that you can build a ship in a different way than you'd ever heard of or seen before. Yep. Help me do what I don't know how to do. Here's a great example, okay? The brother of Jared has two problems, air and light, air and light. Now, which one is more dangerous than the other? Air is life or death, right? They don't solve that problem. They all die. So tell me what the Lord does. Okay, here's what you do. You drill a hole in the top and the bottom. I don't know about you. If the Lord told me to drill a hole in the bottom of my boat for air, I would have seriously questioned his physics. (laughs) You want me to drill a a hole in the bottom of my boat for air, and when I need air, I unstop the hole. In other words, when the danger's really high, sometimes Heavenly Father just takes over and says, do it, drill a hole in the bottom of the boat. And even if I didn't understand, I obey because there's urgency there. Now, when did he obey? When did did they clearly understand why you drill a hole in the bottom of the boat? When the bottom, Becomes the top, and instantly, oh, that's why. But I'm sure there was a moment where they didn't understand why they needed a hole in the bottom of the boat, right? <laughs> but then he comes back and says he solved the air problem. And he says, "Now I have a light problem." Expecting the Lord to do the same thing, tell me what the Lord did. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Now, how many times in your life, when the danger is really high, does Heavenly Father step in and say? Okay, child, we're crossing a busy street and I'm going to hold your hand. And then there comes a moment where you say, Father, I'm, I need help here. And he says, good luck with that. How many good luck with that moments have you had in your life? Where Heavenly Father says, good luck with that. Now, how did they get light? It wasn't all on him, was it? But would he have touched the stones had the brother of Jared not taken the initiative and tried to solve the problem as best he could? So you still, I still need the Lord. But I want for me what he wants for me. Let me work on this. Let me struggle with this. Don't take my problems away. Let me be in pain for a while. Help me, but let me do it. Because I know, and I know that he knows, there's a reason for it. May I bear you my testimony that that is The Law of Obedience Temple Version. It's not, will you obey? Are you disciplined enough to obey? It's, will you want for you what Heavenly Father, what a loving Heavenly Father truly wants for you? Will you say in Gethsemane, If I have to drink this cup, I'll do it. Could you help me? Think of that when you make that covenant to obey the law of obedience. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.